shown up on time, we'll go ahead and uh, get started with, uh, with our Sunday school class here. So, oh, <laughs> well, yeah, get, <laughs> I'll take a moment here to open us in a word of prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity and privilege that we have to open your word. We thank you that you have made it living and active, that it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and that it discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. We ask, Lord, that you would turn this sword upon our very souls this morning, that you would keep us from error, and that you would use this time to glorify yourself in our eyes to strengthen our faith, and to equip us that we might glorify you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. <clears throat> well, this is, the, uh, this is the first in our Sunday School series on Ephesians, and uh, we're going to be moving through it at a, at a rather brisk pace. We'll be doing one chapter a week, which if you've ever done a a Bible study on Ephesians, you know, that means that we're going to kind of have to pick and choose some of the things we want to dig into, just because this is a very theologically rich book. Uh, just by way of brief introduction, you, you may or may not remember from our overview from the class on practical Christianity, but the way that this book is laid out, the, the, the final three chapters of the book have more to do with application, while the first three have to do with uh, the theological underpinnings. And so today's um, class will be fairly rich in theological underpinning. The, there's, a, there's a lot of, uh, of material to, to cover here, and so I apologize in advance for not digging deeply into maybe what might be someone's favorite point out of this first chapter, but uh, we will be covering some things in, in, in fairly, uh, fairly, fairly decent depth. So with that as an introduction, um, and without further ado, what I'll do is, is read through the chapter, chapter one, and then we'll, uh, we'll launch into a bit of a discussion. So one of the things that I ask you all to do who are here is to, to as I'm reading through this, uh, pay attention to key phrases that may appear more than once, as well as some of the kind of, try to get a sense of what the big idea of the chapter is, even as we're reading it. Sometimes it's, it's hard to do that, but if, if you could really be actively engaged while I'm reading, it will help a lot. So with that in mind, uh, let's read Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we 
who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What we're going to do first is we're going to take a look at the introduction. We'll take a look at the first three verses here. Um, and what are some of the things that we see in verse 1? What stands out? It's a sh relatively short verse. Yes, very good. So we see Jesus Christ as a focus, as a centerpiece in this chapter. Anything else? Mike. Yeah, yeah. good, good. And, that, and that's actually a major theme of this, of the book as a whole, is that uh, God, through Christ, has reconciled all nations to himself. And so there's this bridge here connecting the Apostle Paul, who's a, a Jew and a Pharisee of the Pharisees, with the Ephesians, who are Greeks. Yep, good, good. Anything else? Lee. He's establishing his authority. And uh, do, you, do you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, he declares himself as an apostle, and that's a, that's a loaded phrase. That's one that's filled with meaning. And let's let's uh, take a couple of a couple of seconds to, kind of unpack it. Um, what when when we look at somebody being an, an apostle, and uh, the the associated authority that comes with it, what are some of the key elements of someone who's an apostle? Ronnie. Uh, commissioned by, by God. Com so commissioned by God. Yes, good. So God himself is the one who, uh, uh, on the road to Damascus, in probably one of the most dramatic, if not the most dramatic, of the callings of the apostles, got the apostle Paul's attention 
as he was on his way to be a persecutor and converted him uh, to one who was his enemy and now becomes one of his most loyal followers. Good. And he's commissioned. Yeah, and that's uh, that's kind of cutting that's cutting to the chase and summarizing everything. So you're getting ahead of me, which is good, actually. But you're in agreement with uh, John MacArthur, who, when he analyzes this this passage, uh, the way that he says it is that um, he's not just another man with an opinion. And you can imagine John MacArthur with the, with the cadence of his voice, if you've ever listened to any of his sermons, just saying that. And, uh, Teresa. Yes, yes, there's the unity of Jesus Christ. And if, if, we, uh, if we take a look a little bit more at things that are uh, wrapped up in Paul's apostleship, what are, what are some of the other things that we see throughout Scripture that uh, really kind of round out the significance of him declaring himself an apostle? What are some of the things that add gravitas to someone who's an apostle? Okay, John. Yeah, and, and, and Scott, and then, did I see you, Tim? Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he had a prominent identity. And that identity has been now transformed into a follower of Christ. Tim. Yeah, and that's actually very significant. There were only 14 apostles. There were, there were the original 12, then there's Matthias, and there's the Apostle Paul. So it's a very exclusive group, and they're all taught by Christ himself. Lee. Yeah. Yes. The commissioning comes from Christ. And, yes, Ronnie. So in, in that, and in that way, they are exemplars of what we can expect if we're faithful followers. What about in terms of the, some of the things that, the, that Paul did that 
most people don't do. Obey and perform miracles. Yep. Like he was, he was able to perform miracles. <laughs> he, uh, David, yeah. Yeah. Which is, uh, which, is, which is actually an important element of the church that we, we have a, we have a, 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 a document we have documents within our constitution, something that we discussed at Presbytery actually yesterday. Um, we have a book of church order that tells us how we should act, but that book of church order is subservient to the Westminster Confession, which systematizes what we, um, what we believe in scripture, but all of that rests on top of scripture itself. And the... Um, the notion of being justified by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone um, led to the rebuke that the Apostle Paul gave uh, to Peter when, when Peter was starting to uh, side with the legalists. Good, good. And getting back to the idea of doing miracles, uh, he healed, uh, he blinded Elamas, the, uh, the magician, when the magician was uh, was interfering with his proclamation of the word, and he uh, spoke of himself as one who was, uh, though he was prolific in speaking tongues, uh, he didn't he didn't necessarily uh, promote it as being the highest form of speech. But he had all of these elements that really do set him apart from others. Any other thoughts before? Oh, Mike. Well, I think that was Peter, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So a, a lot of this... We're, we're spending a little bit of time on this because there's a, there's a foundational element to this and there's another foundational element that sometimes we can kind of skip through and that is this notion of uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So how, how often do we see this as a greeting in, in Paul's letters? All of them. He starts each and every one of his letters with this greeting of grace to you. Um, and what do you think is the significance of that phrase that causes Paul to use that in every letter that he writes. Ronnie? Mm -hmm. Yep, it's the spiritual side, and grace is clearly uh, an element that, that drives the spiritual side. Scott? Yeah. He, he knows what it, what it means to receive grace. And, as a, and because of his opposition to the gospel, he actually, in, in another passage in scripture, uh, in Corinthians, considers himself to be the least of the apostles because of the oppression that he engaged in. Anything else? John. Yeah. Yeah, so there's this 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 giving, this unmerited favor. It has to be given. Anything else? Yeah, Dave. Yes. 
and, and John Piper actually has a, 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 a sizable chunk. He has a, he has a book called Future Grace, and he makes he makes a point of of addressing the the introduction, and I think he says it better than I can. So <clears throat> I'd like to just read a little bit uh, from what he says here. One of the points that he makes in this book is that all grace is in the future. Like what I just said now. I can't take it back. It's done. Everything that I can do in the future now is in front of me. And this idea of grace having a future impact, that the means of grace, when, when we receive them, and the, the proclamation of the word, which we'll hear this morning, is, is, a, is a, as a means of grace, that is meant to equip us to be able to understand what we're reading here what we're going to be covering here, but also to live in a way that's consistent with what we're going to hear. <clears throat> so what, uh, what, what John Piper says that about this is, nothing else in Paul's letters comes close to this kind of unbroken focus on future grace at the beginning and ending of every letter. The blessing of peace comes close. It's alongside grace at the beginning of every letter, but it falls away from every blessing at the end of the letters. So he's also going to say, he's going to, whoever's going to cover the last chapter will, will cover the phrase uh, that, about God's grace being with us after we hear God's word. He says, what is, what is Paul doing when he begins and ends his letters with words like these? He's blessing his readers, including us. A biblical blessing happens when we say something may May God bless you with grace. That's what Paul is saying at the beginning and ending of letters, even though he doesn't use the word bless. And the idea here is that the word is a means of grace. It has power when we hear it. It has power when it's proclaimed, and it has greater power when it's expounded on during a sermon. That there's actually something that's there to change us. It does something to equip us for the future. And that's happening even now as we're reading God's word, as we're attentive to it. It's, it's the only thing that's living and active in that way. It's the only thing that discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts in a way where it turns us to God. There are other things that might be based on what's in God's word. You may read the confession, something profound in there may strike you. Uh, you may read a book that someone writes, but its ultimate source and its power is from God himself. And these words particularly, as we're going to cover them here, that's one of the reasons why uh, the emphasis and focus on kind of paying attention when we're reading it is because this is God's living and active word. It's here to change us, to transform us. And the things that we read here, both about God reconciling all of creation to himself and, and recon, reconciling all the nations to himself and providing that unity, that's, that powerful message comes through the word and it comes from his unmerited favor. So as, as we move on now to the next section, if we, if we take a look at um, verses three through 10. What are some of the elements that we see here that build on what Paul has laid as, as his foundation so far? <clears throat> Scott. And, and that point from the foundation of the world, this, is, this, this next section is the beginning of, a, of, of a, a rather concise and yet fairly extensive proclamation 
of God's sovereignty in creation here. He starts with before the foundations, from, from, from the foundations of the world, this is happening. Good, Rob. Yeah. And you want to expand on that a little bit? Yes. Yes. Teresa. Yes. So it's one of those before the foundations of the world uh, statements that God knew and and orchestrated. Rob. Yeah, yeah. Without getting into a an infralapsarian, supralapsarian discussion that could probably take the rest of this class and probably go through the sermon, but that it it certainly makes a strong case for that argument that the cross is, was was not plan B. <laughs> yes, good. Yes, Sharon. Yes. This, this, this phrase in him shows up a lot in this book. We'll, we'll see it again and again. And so what do you think the significance of that is, this idea of being in Christ? Yeah, there, there's, there's no, and we were, we were having a, one, one of our internal discussions, so it, it, it definitely tilted towards um, God's sovereignty and predestination, but how, how, much, how much choosing do we actually do in choosing him? Well, after he's chosen us, we're, we, we, we choose him, but he, he's the one who does the choosing, and because of that, we can rest in it. Good, good. Anything else? Matthew?
And, and that, that particular theological point, again, going back to our discussion at, at Presbytery yesterday, uh, one of the brothers stood up and made the point that as we were sort of debating this fine-tuned theological point, that these fine-tuned theological points, as we learned in our practical theology class, they drive the way that we act. They don't just drive the way that we think. They drive the way we act. And, and Paul is making the case here uh, similar to the, the, the case that Jesus was making with Nicodemus about the, the, God's Holy Spirit uh, when he was pointing back to, uh, and this is, again, going back to John MacArthur and his estimation, that the, the, the Ezekiel uh, 36 passage where God promises to put his spirit in us and move us to do his will, that, that Paul is making that assertion here, but he, and he's making it for a reason. He's making it for a reason. He, he wants God's people to understand the significance of the work that's done when we are in Christ. He wants us to to know who we are so that we can be who we are. It's not a matter of like, you look at this thing and it's really hard to do and you like try to find the next worldly technique that's gonna help you to do this thing that you want. So you, you do a, read a self-help book and it helps you to make the right lists and it helps you to distract your mind from the thing that you don't want to be thinking about or whatever the technique that's out there is. It's way bigger than that. It's, uh, as it says in 111, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And then he points out first, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So it's not just, it's not just that we'll do the right stuff, but it's to the praise of his glory. And in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So there's this idea of the praise of his glory, that God is working that out in us. And, and this is where the, the practical idea of faith comes in. How does, how does faith come into all of this here? What's, what's the importance of faith as we read this particular passage in scripture here? Ronnie? So, so you have to have this faith from God. Good, good. Anything else? Yep, Scott. Yeah, it's, it's, a it's a serious blessing. And you, you can look at the promises and you can look at your own life. And part of that is what we do every week when we do the confession of sin. You can look at your own life and you can be distraught about it because you say, well, I see these promises in Christ and I see how short I fell today or yesterday, whatever it is, that if you examine yourself carefully, you see something in your own life that causes you to, to doubt 
you can have a cause to doubt. And the, the importance of faith here is that when you, when you see this, you believe it. Like, actually believe it. And this, unfortunately, I couldn't think of another good analogy, and so I'm going to go to my old tired one about the, um, the guy who set up the, the rope going across Niagara Falls, and he went across with a, a wheelbarrow full of bricks, and he got to the other side. And, and as, when he got to the other side, there, were, there was a crowd that greeted him. He looked one guy in the eyes, and he said, do you think that I could go back across with somebody in the wheelbarrow instead of just these bricks? And the guy said, yeah, sure. And he said, well, get in. All of a sudden, now it's real, right? And that's kind of the way our belief has to be. It has to be real like that. Like when you look at this, do you actually believe that God is working in you, in his purposes, to will and to do according to his purposes? Do you really believe that promise where he said, I'll put my spirit in you and move you to do my will, like he said in Ezekiel? Do you believe what he said in uh, Jeremiah 31, where he talks about how we're, we're not going to need to have everyone teaching us anymore. It doesn't mean that you don't have a pastor. It doesn't mean you don't have Sunday school classes. But you're going to be able to read God's word and know because God's Holy Spirit is in you. Like, do you really believe that? And if you do, then what, what difference does that make in how you live? Do you trust God? Do you take him at his word? Do you trust him during the hard times when you, like, you see you failed again? Or do you, do you look at it and say, well, I, I'm like the Apostle Paul, who in, in Romans chapter 7, even though Paul lived an exemplary life after he became a Christian, he is able to say, you know, oh, wretched man that I am. Not that I was, that I am. And yet, he can go on in Romans chapter 8 to look forward to the things that God will do and how God's, he'll never be separated from the love of Christ. And so what we're laying out in here is this idea of the importance of grace and the importance of faith and what the implications are. Uh, starting in verse 15, we have, uh, we have Paul's prayer. And this, this may sound familiar as, as we uh, read it. I know that you know, when I prepare the, the, the prayer of adoration, a lot of times I'll, I'll have this embedded in it, if not verbatim. Um, and I also put it in the, the prayer of supplication a lot of times when I'm praying for the congregation because Paul says it so beautifully here. What are some of the things that, um, that Paul is thankful for in this prayer that he has for the Ephesians? Ronnie? Faith and love. And those two things are uh, often linked together. What is it about faith and love that kind of puts them, puts them together as concepts? So the spirit, the spirit does that, takes them and puts them together. Any more thoughts on that?
Yeah, we have to believe it, and it's and and God's Holy Spirit working in us helps us to believe it, and then it has a practical outworking, a practical outworking in love. Good, good. Anything else, uh, Scott? Yes. So you have to know something. There's something you need to know. And if, if you remember way, way back, if you happen to be in the class on, on, um, on growing in, in love and holiness, that, which is uh, one, of, one of the elements of, of our, uh, our mission here at Redeemer, that, that there's an association, association between those, and there's the, 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 the chap, when we look back at the chapter that contains um, the, the Old Testament command to love the Lord your God uh, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, there's another one that talks about loving your neighbor as yourself. And the, the use and, of the word holy and God telling us that he's holy uh, is is sprinkled throughout the same passage that tells us to love him and to love our neighbors. The passages that tell him to love, love him and love our neighbors. There's this idea that those things go together. That there, you, you have to have faith in order to love. But, but how does that, how, how do you see that as working? Looking at the passage here and the prayer. Yep, Matthew. Yep, and, and that ties back to the notion of this idea of being in Christ. When we love as Christ loved, when, when Christ was on the cross and he said, forgive them for they know not what they do, and when we see that exemplified again in God's followers, Stephen, when he's stoned, uses the words of Christ asking God not to hold his murder to their account, having that this heart like Christ, he's, God is glorifying himself, getting back to some of the points that were made earlier here. God is glorifying himself. He's bringing glory to himself through his people as he forges Christ's character within them. And he promises to do it. So that it's and 
if, if, we, if we take a look here a little bit further in, uh, in this, this passage here where he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So there's all of these concepts are starting to come together here. God's Holy Spirit, this idea of knowledge, that revelation is something that is revealed. It's not something you make up. It's not stuff, something that you figure out. God tells us it's revealed. Revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And this is, this is something that's really important and that the gospel primer makes a big deal out of. And what is the immeasurably, immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The same power that was at work raising Christ from the dead is what Paul is promising us here as, as the deliverer of God's message. That power is the power that's at work in us. Now, do you believe it? Like, do you believe it? When you, when you look at the things that he calls you to do, do you believe it? Do you, do you understand who you are? He, his prayer is that we will understand who we are in Christ. What does that mean? Uh, the, the author of the Gospel Primer, I, uh, his name eludes me right now, but he, he, he talks about how the Gospel is called the power of God. Now, when, when he, that phrase is only used to in the New Testament to describe two things, Christ and the Gospel. So the good news that saves us, the power of God, the only, the only other time that that power is used, that, that description is used, is for Christ himself as the power of God. God doesn't use that when he talks about creating the world out of nothing, this vast universe, you know, 200 billion galaxies with 200 billion stars each. It's like it's, it blows your mind to even try to conceive of how big that is. He doesn't, he doesn't talk about the power of God when he talks about the creation of the universe. He talks about the power of God in us. That's what it takes to transform our natures. But guess what? He promises it. It's there. So the, the next time you're in a struggle, this is the thing that gives us hope. When, when you hope, the hope that you have is not like, oh, I hope something nice happens. The hope that we have is we look to the promise and we say, I know that God can do that because it's his word that tells me that. That's where our hope comes from. And so this introductory chapter here with its declarations about um, Paul and who he is, establishing himself as an apostle, about the importance of grace, about the importance of faith, the importance of being in Christ, the importance of God's Holy Spirit, and ultimately, the power that's at work within us. This is foundational for the rest of the chapter here. Yeah, yep, and then... And, and it's just enormous, but, but that's the resource that's at work with that hard-to-love person. That's the resource that's at work with that, that uh, persistent, besetting sin that you may struggle with. That's the power that's at work uh, as you, you seek to, to uh, it, 
have summon up the courage to share the gospel with this person that you love dearly at work, but you haven't shared the most important news that they could possibly hear with. That's the power that's there. It's there for all the hard stuff. And do you believe it? Do you believe it? So as, as we work our way to the end of the chapter here, so that um, we can kind of tie things up and, and bring it to a conclusion. This idea in the end, in 123, where he says, um, in the, in the, starting in verse 122, after he talks about uh, this incomparably great power that's in us, he works his, his way back to Christ and he talks about where Christ is seated right now. And then there's this final sentence uh, beginning, in, if, you, if you're reading out of the ESV, in verse 22 and going into 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, to the fullness of him who fills all in all. So he's... Uh, Paul here is tying everything together now with Christ and where he is positionally. What's the significance of all of that in terms of what we've just talked about, working our way from grace and everything being in Christ, God's Holy Spirit, and the, then this prayer that uh, Paul has for the Ephesians here. Ronnie? Yes, and, and Matthew mentioned that idea of the body, which is one of the, the main illustrations that uh, Paul will use for his church later on in this book that this is he's going to he's going to use this as a as, as a jumping off point this is foundational to understanding uh, the importance of every believer in the church and the and the the role and the work that God has given us whether you're the person who prays without ceasing uh, the person who's who's there every time somebody has a tough thing that needs to get done uh, whatever, whatever the call is that God has for your life, it's part of being this body. Yes, Teresa. Yeah, and, and, and some of this, some of the, some of the language kind of anthropomorphizes stuff in a way, you know, we, we take, we, we the, the, the image of the right hand is, that's like the chosen spot. If, if you remember, uh, the, the disciples wanted to be one at his right hand, I don't know if they were going to arm wrestle or, or, or James, since he was older, was going to be the one who took it. But they wanted to be at his right hand and his, and his left. But the, the right hand is like the, the, the phrase right-hand man kind of comes from that. Is someone who's at the right hand of God is uh, foundational to, to God's salvific work in creation. So that's kind of what it means, and you, you can probably do a better job of explaining it, Matthew, but there's uh, a... Yeah.
Yeah. But, it, but I'm like you. I, I have the same thing that goes on with me, just so you know. <laughs> Mike. Yeah, and, and, and that's a good point. The idea of subjection, being under his feet, uh, is this idea of he's the conqueror. We have this already and not yet aspect to Christ here, where he has come, he has conquered. It's like uh, in, the lion, the, rich in the, the, the lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where uh, Aslan is on the move. He hasn't quite... He hasn't quite subdued the white witch yet you know that's uh, that's something coming in the future but uh, Mr. Beaver says Aslan is on the move like you can see that as Narnia is starting to melt again and all the frozenness is starting to go away and the richness of spring and life is coming that, that that's what we are we're God's church here and so he has already put things underfoot may not look that way as as uh, as we've heard it may not look that way, but it's, it's moving in that direction. That's, that's where re redemptive history is moving in its trajectory now that God has come. And getting back to that idea of all grace being future grace, it's like what I'm thinking of to say next is out in the future, and I need to have my words tempered by God's grace or the thing that I strive to do to act. All of that, all of this idea of grace being future, and grace being imparted. This is something that's meant to be living and active in our lives. And that's what the, the Apostle Paul here is, is striving to do. He's, he's showing us the promises of God. He's using this majestic language. He points out that you have to have the eyes of your hearts opened to see it. When you see it and, and you trust in it, it's life transforming. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, there is. And, and, he, and he, he, in his greeting, that, that's why the greeting is so important, because who, who, he, who he says this is to, it's to uh, the saints, and, and he talks about being faithful. And so as, even as he's declaring that they're saints, even as he's declaring that they're faithful, he's reinforcing what they do and how they think with this deep theology of who Christ is, what he has done, what he means to us, and what he will do to us, but you have to believe. And I'm, I'm starting to like move into the, the prep time between services, so I'm going to close us with a word of prayer here. <clears throat> Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you again for all that you have done for us in Christ. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that uh, brings to mind truth, that working together with you, who, you, you, O Holy Spirit, who work together with the word, make it living in our lives. And we ask, Lord, that these things that we have read would truly make us different today. Make us trust you and, and remind us of your promises that you uh, formulated before the foundations of the world that we might go forth and live uh, according to the rich inheritance and adoption that we have through Christ's shed blood. We lift up these prayers now to you in his name and for his sake. Amen.